We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC 250. I am Paul Shaughnessy, about to be joined on the line by probably... The guy's got went into God mode, basically, at this point. Cody Saftik, just posting... Don't talk like that. Just posting, just posting six, like, six-man parlays, just sneakily, just, like, replying to fans, just throwing it out there into the, into the, into the inner sphere. And luckily, like... When it's a few hours before fight night, I am just like scouring because Cody doesn't tell me when he's going to answer these things. He just eventually he's just like, oh, yeah, this is what I'm doing. You got to get in on those plays. And uh, and yeah, I before now I'm going to bring him in. But there's one question. And I think all of the people want to know, Cody Saftik. Have you been drinking today? <laughs> Thankfully, no, I have not been drinking, as I mentioned to you off air. That's it for us. Hope you for enjoyed tomorrow. this show. For, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, obviously, we uh, <laughs> will continue having you on the show, even if you haven't been drinking. But people are people may be a little bit triggered. Last week, you had you weren't drunk, drunk, but you had a couple drinks. You were feeling loose, and that's good. And we we appreciate that, uh, especially during these times. Like keep your keep your sanity. Um, but yeah, that's uh, you're stone stone cold sober, are you? Wow, I haven't been drinking alcohol, if that's the definition of stone cold sober. But uh, yeah, no, no, I wasn't trying to make a habit of it. Listen, it's way easier when you and I are in studio because the conversation's flowing. It's easy to feel good. It's easy to 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 get into like a flow state, and then we just discuss fights. It's like it's an easygoing show. <clears throat> Obviously, it's a little bit different during quarantine times. Phone line, not person. So yeah, I guess having drinks just helped me relax, but. The last week's card, I enjoyed the card. I thought it was a great offering anyhow. But a lot of people were mentioning how, geez, this is really a quarantine card. This is the UFC mailing it in, giving us, you know, a lackluster effort 
So people I don't think were super excited about the show. Then when they listened to us, they were, oh, they were pumped up. Like, oh, man, these guys got some funny takes. Great. 250, you know, not difficult to get up for this card. Like, mm, it, is a, it is a decent little offering from the UFC. Lots of fun fights. Tape studying it was very fun. There's, fun, there's fights like Lineker versus Sanhagen. You don't need to rewatch. There's really nothing that Lineker showed in that fight that his opponent, Aljamain Sterling, is going to show here. But you rewatch it anyways just because, like, it's a great scrap, right? Um, tape studying was just fun. I think it's going to be a good card. Let's make another winning effort, my man, Paul. Yeah, but the, our first reaction right after the uh, the last card ended is just, like, the heater that is going on right now is, like, insane. Um, I feel like one of these days, and times are so crazy, that you feel like one of these days, like, you know, bad luck is going to happen. But uh, let's keep her going. We have uh, main event. The GOAT, the Lady GOAT, Amanda Nunez taking on Felicia Spencer. Nunez minus 650 favorite. Spencer plus 450. Um, I understand this is up at 145 pounds, of course. But, I mean, it's hard to consider, like, there's not really many spots where I think Spencer is all that much better than Nunez. Nunez is an absolute machine on the feet. Black belt, like a like a second degree black belt. I don't even know how many degrees, but a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Her Muay Thai is great. Her clinch is good. I mean, Spencer is probably a little bit bigger. Maybe she can force her up against the cage, but that's a hard game plan to do over the course of five rounds um, against somebody who is so dangerous and so tactically sound. It's minus 600. It is what it is. I'm trying not to get too big invested into a couple of these big favorites, but like I got them a little bit earlier in the week and a couple parlays just because I feel like, you know, something like a Nunez here is going to move up to like the minus 800 range. Um, I got her in on some parlays early, but uh, what do you think about that? Um, is it, does Spencer stand much of a shot? I guess I'm asking you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's an MMA match, so she stands a shot. That's why you fight them, right? You want to see what happens. But, yeah, I mean, the deck is largely stacked up against her. She's taking on the greatest women's fighter of all time in a weight class that she's getting a title shot, largely on the basis that there's just nobody else, right? I mean, especially with Cyborg not being in the UFC, you not making that fight. Nunez should just hang out at 35, but there's limited contenders there as well. So she'll just, you know, moonlight under both weight classes and fight where she can. Spencer, or uh, sorry, her, her opponent... Is, is not, shouldn't probably be the fight, but there's nobody else. So what do you do? You have to go with Felicia Spencer. There's just nobody else. And that's such, yeah, the champion should retain, the champion should walk, you should be able to get the easy victory. Unless, like you said, our bad luck's going to have to kick in at some point. I, does does the dog streak continue in main events? Because it's been an unprecedented row, right? run of dogs, man. You know what, man? If you really break it down, so last week, Gilbert Burns, he's plus 165, he cashes, everyone's on Woodley, he comes through, right? Prior to that, Overeem over Walt Harris. They sold you a great Walt Harris story, but Overeem cashes the 135 ticket. Prior to that, Glover Texary comes in, 175, gets the job done. Prior to that, Gaethje, we all know that. Prior mm-hmm. to that, though, right? This is funny. So the UFC cancels. Cage Warriors ended up getting that one UFC fight. and It was Bartosz Fabinski versus Darren Stewart was the headliner. We that was technically the last major... Yeah, and Fabinski comes through as a big fucking dog and just like cruises 30-27 pillar to post. The fight card before that was UFC fight number three, Charles Oliveira over Kevin Lee, where Charles Oliveira, again, comes through as the underdog and puts it on him. Before that, 248 is the last time the favorite won in a main event is Israel Adesanya over Yoel Romero. I thought Izzy won, but a lot of people were crying robbery on that, saying the underdog Yoel Romero should have won. So yeah, there's been a lot of crazy things happening as far as main event goes, but now you're finally pitted with one that 
it's hard to see it the other way. Like, unless there's She's just the some champ crazy, champ. yeah, unless there's some crazy curse in the air, like it's hard to believe. Listen, what? Let's 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 actually talk about this fight, not just like the narrative on it. But how does Felicia Spencer physically win this fight? Well, she showed against Cyborg two things specifically. One, she can take one hell of a punch. Mm-hmm. Second of all, she's got good cardio. So with Amanda Nunez, like if there's one knock on her, and that knock's kind of always been there, is that we wonder about her cardio. This isn't really somebody that goes out there and cruises through five, yeah. looks better every single round. She's kind of a front runner. She'll look good for the first couple rounds, and then she starts to get tired a little bit. Okay. Against Jermaine Durandamy, she had every advantage in the world against Jermaine Durandamy. Yes, Durandamy a great striker. But, I mean, hey, this girl just head-kicked Holly Holm. This girl just one-punched Chris Cyborg. Like, how are you going to look me in the eye and say someone's that better of a striker than she is? And obviously, she's got the wrestling. Obviously, she's got the jiu-jitsu. But the cardio, again, like, once she started not getting her way in the striking exchanges, she just relied solely on, I just need to take this girl down and hold this girl down. That's an option that's available. Now, Spencer can't strike like Durandamy, so she's probably not going to force that hand where Nunez is just working so hard striking that she's all of a sudden got to flip the script. But she did keep coming forward all 15 minutes against Chris Cyborg, give it her best shot. Now that it's five rounds, if she can get Nunez into late rounds, remember like Valentina Shevchenko versus Nunez two, mm-hmm. or even one really, in the first fights, like Nunez comes out hot the first two rounds, the second round, the third round, she's tired, Shevchenko's on top, Shevchenko can't make uh, get the finish, it's a 29-28 Nunez. That's a long time ago. Nunez has obviously improved her cardio a lot since then, but she does have a septum issue, right? She does have trouble breathing through her nose, She's had surgery on it. She's tried to open up the airwaves. The fight with Ronda Rose, she tried to wear a nose peel. They made her take it off. So this is someone that battles cardio not because of work ethic, just because she's built like a power tank. She throws a lot of power and, and you know explosiveness and speed, and she's not getting the proper oxygen to basically to, to, to run that kind of game plan. So maybe Spencer takes her in four and five and, and tries to get some type of submission or some type of finish late. And if that was the case, then 100% you bet that fight live after three rounds where she's are, you know, battered post yeah. to post, but potentially looks okay. Potentially looks like she's down to fight another two rounds and Nunez is slowing. But you got to see that live time. You can't sit here and think right now, okay, yeah, she's just going to weather an absolute atrocious beating for mm-hmm. 20 minutes potentially and then turn it on. Like, I can't, I can't tell you that that's the move. So I think that the dog run ends here. Amanda Nunez retains, even if the fight does hit the ground. Amanda Nunez is a black belt. She's a good black belt. Yep. She's stronger than Felicia Spencer. Spencer's not even like, you know, oh, Megan Anderson's six foot one. She couldn't fight at another weight class. Like, Spencer could fight at 135. Yeah, she's not she's exactly massive. Five, she's, she's pretty thick. She's five foot six and she's got a 67 inch reach. Nunez is five seven with a 69 inch reach. So it's like, yeah, so you know, she's a little bit thicker in the shoulder. Like she's got, she's she's pretty strong. Like she's built, she's got wide shoulders and whatnot. But I don't think the size is going to be that big of a deal. I I am curious to see if the one thing that does worry me about, like you know, these Nunez parlays that I've, uh, I only have one right now actually. But uh, the one parlay I have with her is like, if we do get to Friday, it's up at one forty-five. She doesn't always look the best at Wayne's, but she looks really bad. Like, she just looks like really, like she hasn't been doing anything for the last three months. I don't expect that. She's at one of the world-class gyms. She's the champ champ for a reason. Maybe I get out a little bit of my investment by the time I get here. But I think we're on the same page. It's uh, it's Amanda Nunez's fight to lose. Let's move on to the next one. We have Cody Garbrandt taking on Rafael Asuncao. Cody Garbrandt minus 135 favorite. Asuncao plus 115. Interesting little line movement. On this one, uh, last night I made the boards, and it was minus 150. 
uh, plus 130. So money is coming in on the dog, making it closer to a pick Do you agree with that line movement, Cody? You've always been good well, with Cody Garbrandt fights. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, and I'm taking Cody Garbrandt here as well. So the line movement's appreciated because I don't <clears> – <throat> it was sitting at like 145 Garbrandt, came down to 135, 135 Garbrandt, and now it's trending a little bit. Like you want to get the best price you can out of him because obviously the – Massive amount of risk that I guess you're incurring when you take a Cody Garbrandt fight. Yeah, he's got a chin problem. He's also just got a massive fight IQ problem. Deciding to get into these wars when you shouldn't. His last fight against Pedro Munoz, no one can call me a hater for hating on the guy's chin because I was spot on in that fight that eventually he'll get dragged into this firefight with Pedro Munoz and he'll get clipped at some point. And he doesn't look bad in the fight. He hurts his leg. You know, he's getting dinged up a little bit. He gets dropped, maybe a bit of a headbutt. He recovers, and then he just goes balls out, guns a-blazing, gets KO'd. Now that he's coming back, I'm seeing this narrative on him where everybody's now on the same page of, like, the dude can't take a punch. He gets hit one time, he's fucking floored. Like, no one has any faith in his chin whatsoever. But but I want to point out a couple things, right? So he loses to TJ Dillashaw both times by KO. Dillashaw was the best guy in the division. You know, they were good fights. He dropped Dillashaw the first time. Whatever. I was firmly on TJ both times with Cody in those Cody Garbrandt fights, so he gets KO'd by the best guy. But he's not taking a ton of time off in between those fights. He's going hard in the gym. He's just back and back. He should have never taken an immediate title shot rematch the first time. Like, you get KO'd in devastating fashion, and right away, it's like no improvements are going to be able to be made in that time frame, and he wants a second Dillashaw shot fight. And he gets awarded the second Dillashaw shot fight, gets KO'd even faster. That's not a, that's not a great look. He just jumps right back in the Pony Man. Five months after he got knocked out by Dillashaw the second time, he's back in there against Pedro Munoz. So he's rushing it, right? Now, this guy's only 27 when he loses to Pedro Munoz. So Ali, who's, you know, hate him or love him, most people seem to hate him, he's the best manager in the game. This guy does the right moves. Cody, you're taking one year off. One square year off, 12 months, no questions asked. You got to heal your head. That in itself is going to help him out because he's not completely gun shy or he's not completely broken down in that he's a 32, 33, 34 year old athlete, been in all these wars. Yeah, the amateur boxing didn't help him. Yeah, getting KO'd in his amateur MMA career didn't help him. Yeah, those three consecutive knockout losses didn't help him. But now he's still only 28. 12 months off is going to help him. Then when the virus hits, it scraps the first half of a Sunset matchup. So now he's got an additional few months on that. All I'm saying is, I feel like he's not as chinny as maybe we're all making him out to be. So now we got to look at his technical skills. As far as his technical skills go, the guy's got it. I mean, he's a he's probably one of the better boxers in the division. He's sharp. He's accurate. He's extremely fast. What Pedro posed in that fight that I knew was going to be a factor was the leg kick. Pedro loves to sit down on the big leg kick. He goes to the calf, and Garbrandt's so much faster than him. When you watch tape, he just he leaps and bounces quicker. But if you slow this guy down, that's when he's going to be a hittable target. Pedro does that. I don't think Rafael does. Rafael is a month shy of his 38th birthday. He's knocked out one guy in the last eight years. He's not known for his power punching. Yeah, he's no. extremely durable. Yeah, he's a tough veteran gatekeeper type guy. But he's not in that talks of one of the top five, top ten guys. He's just that tough, gritty, Rafael Sunsau. Doesn't let his hands go a ton. Good grappling. You know, all, all those but doesn't have that one-punch hitter quitter power that maybe is what we're worried about if we're backing Cody Garbrandt. Cody Garbrandt's wrestling's looked awesome. You look at the guys he's tough takedowns against, they're not all known, I guess, as spectacular wrestlers, but at the same time, like, you know, stuffing seven dominant crew takedowns is something. The guy knows how to wrestle. Being out of, out of Team Alpha Male for so long, he can wrestle. Stuffing TJ Dillashaw takedowns, he can wrestle. I, I'm okay with that. It's even when he got dropped by Pedro Munoz, Munoz is on top of this guy on the ground. He just posts and stands back up. Like, this is a world-class BJJ black belt in Pedro Munoz, but Cody Garbrandt was comfortable. 
He's not really getting taken down. If he does get taken down, I think he gets back up. So taking off half of Sunset's best weapon right off the table, right off the get-go, if it's a stand-up battle, then Cody Garbrandt just slowly over time, may, I, I'm thinking goes to the decision. Cody's got heavy hands. Maybe he clips him at some point. But I think that he's going to just fight the smart game plan of stay to the outside, use your speed, use your jab, use your quickness, outpoint this guy. Havela Sunset doesn't fight with a ton of urgency mm-hmm. and has to rely on the takedowns. If neither of the which materialize, he's in trouble. And the last last final point I want to make on Havela Sunset is this guy's literally cast iron. Like, knocking him out is not happening. Yeah. But just look at his last two fights. And now we've talked, we've talked about now he's almost 38 years old. His last two fights, okay, Marlon Marais dropped some heavy pair of overhand rights in the first round. That leads to the guillotine submission, even though he did recover from the knockdown. Uh, he, he got stung heavy in the first round. The Corey Sandhagen fight. Corey Sandhagen hurts him in the first round. Hurts mm-hmm. him bad in the first round. He recovers and he relies on the takedown to buy him time to slow the fight down and ultimately loses the decision. But if he doesn't get those takedowns and he's getting hurt by Garbrandt standing, don't be surprised if this guy does get knocked out, despite a long history of him you know, not being finished. I, I, I could see it happening. So, uh, so Garbrandt's the pick. I like that the price is coming down. He's not the most trustworthy guy in the world because he doesn't want to fight in almost four years, by the way. Like, I can't, we, we can't say he's a lock of the night here. He's no. going to have to battle some adversity himself. Where's his head at in terms of, like, his confidence and his headspace and all these different things? But the price is right. I think Cody Garbrandt gets the victory. Yeah, I'm with you. The only thing I can really add to what you were saying there was, um, yeah, a sometimes only knockout coming against Matthew Lopez in a fight. I think that fight was, like, way more closely lined than it should have been. And we were on a sunset out there. We did not expect the finish, but um, that was, you know, a real, real step down in competition for what a half yell sunset usually does. So him looking spectacular, and we've never really seen him look like that. Just like an absolute, like that flying knee knockout was like absurd. If Cody gets caught with something like that, then so be it. These things happen in MMA, but I'm with you. I think Cody Garbrandt gets back on track and, um, the price at mi- minus one thirty five is pretty, pretty good to be perfectly honest. Uh, let's move on down the card. This next one, we stay in the bantamweight division, and this one, Cody, I think is probably the hardest one to really figure out. We have uh, Aljamain Sterling taking on Corey Sanhagen. Sterling minus one ten, Sanhagen minus one ten. Straight pick him. You have Sterling. Both of these guys have proven already that they are really, really, really solid all across the board, to be perfectly honest. Sterling has, like, crazy, crazy speed. Sandhagen has really good flow and angles, good wrestling. They can both kind of, they can both grapple. Like, these guys are essentially fighting. This is a number one contender type of fight right here. Um, and the big kind of clash of styles here is Aljamain Sterling is, like, one of the least hit guys in MMA, whereas Corey Sanhagen has like one of the highest paces, one of the most volume, usually a DraftKings darling, but he's taking on Sterling, who doesn't get hit. Um, I don't really know. Like, I'm not feeling. I saw last night it was like minus 125 plus 100, and I was like, if I was forced to do something, I guess I would take the plus 100. Um, but now that it's at, at a pick, I think it's pretty justified both of these guys are young studs and i can't wait to watch it i don't have a great read on it yet what about you yeah i'm going sandhagen so far that's the early lead i worry about maybe people will consider he's got porous takedown defense and the aljamain sterling being the actual true first wrestler that he's taking on that's going to be a, a big issue for him i can't deny when you look look at it on paper sandhagen's given up a takedown against all of his five ufc opponents he was taken down by austin arnett he got taken down by Uriel Cantra, taken down by Mario Batista. John Lineker got him down. Avila Senso got him down four times. 
So when you consider that Arnett, Alcantara, Mario Batista, Lineker, and Afro Sensao, none of which are pure wrestlers, mm-hmm. and Aljamain's not a pure wrestler either. Like, he's a flowy grappler. He's got good striking. Don't get me wrong. I just mean he's certainly the more, more credible takedown artist that Sanhagen's ever taken on in his UFC run. The fact that For they're sure. taking him down is an indication that Sterling probably takes him down at some point, and I see that being a Sterling's best path to victory. <clears throat> but when re-watching Sanhagen fights, like, a lot of the time he's getting taken down, he's giving you the takedown because he wants to grapple. He yeah. wants to try to submit you. Austin Arnett, he gives it to him. Moments later, he's on top of him, and he's raining down punches and TKOs him. Yuri Alcantara whips this guy, clips him with a hard shot, right? Right into a triangle armbar where he's got Sanhagen's arm basically snapped in half. And Sanhagen just fights through, man. He just keeps going. He keeps going. He ends up finishing him. It's like he, the Batista fight, same thing. He's giving up takedowns. So I'm not so worried about the fact that he can't wrestle as opposed to the fact that I like that he doesn't mind giving up takedowns to try to grapple with you. I don't want him giving up takedowns to scramble with Aljamain Sterling. However, the fact that he's comfortable enough to do that against great black belts like Alcantara or Rafael Asuncao, you're willing to scramble with these guys. And by the way, he sweeps Yuri Alcantara, or he sweeps Rafael Asuncao like, like a hot knife through butter. Like This guy's grappling is adequate. So the fact that he's getting taken down with him, I don't think that's the biggest issue. Looking at Aljamain Sterling, he's very, very smart. He's got one of the best ring IQs. If he can take you down and win again against you on the ground, he'll do that. If he can no grapple you, he'll do that. If he can just stay at distance and just punch and kick and get the fuck out of dodge, he'll do that too. It's leading to good victories, good decision victories. Uh, there's no question when the judges read their tally who won the fight. But one thing that I think is going to be super notable here, though, is if he doesn't get right to the wrestling against Corey Sanhagen and we just have a striking match, he looks comparable in that he's faster than Sanhagen, he's way cleaner than Sanhagen, and you nailed it best. Sanhagen is super hittable. I mean, Lineker popped this guy a bunch. He was getting hit, like, left and right. But that's the thing. He can take a hell of a punch. He's getting hit by the best power puncher in the division and and like nothing. His arm snapped in half against a BJJ black belt, and he fights through. Mm -hmm. So as far as backing a guy that's going to give you 100% effort the entire time, I like Corey Sanhagen. Trains at elevation, he does not fucking tire. All of his fights, he just keeps getting better and better as the fight goes down. The Lineker fight, okay, you can argue he's slowing down. But boy, oh boy, that's a lot of damage to incur. I think it's as much that as anything else. Standing up to Lineker's punches is going to zap something out of you. He's not going to have that problem against Aljamain Sterling. So if you can just chase Aljamain Sterling back, keep on him the entire time great another thing i want to talk about is the fact that Corey sanhagen's whole gym right now is just selling an absolute role he's a one of the top training partners for justin gaethje drew dober obviously he's not putting in great rounds of curtis blades being that there's a massive size discrepancy but the entire gym again these elevation guys they're known for their cardio they're known for their pace they're known for their aggression staying in your face and just making habit they're all good wrestlers they all they're all good strikers they're all coming into their own Corey sanhagen 28 years old i like him now we want to talk about Aljamain Sterling. I can't discredit this guy. As I said, he knows how to get the win. But here's the one thing that's super notable for me, which is the reason I'm going to go with Corey Sanhagen on this. If you look at Aljamain Sterling, right? He's, he's known for staying on the outside, not throwing a ton of punches, right? He doesn't throw a ton of strikes. He, he, was, he, was throwing, he was almost fighting like an Alliance Theodoru-type game plan where he's faster mm-hmm. and more mobile, stays on the outside and kicks. He completely proved me wrong in his last two fights. Well, he, he proved that theory wrong in the last two fights against Jimmy Rivera and Pedro Munoz, where he absolutely just punches. He's got like 120 significant strikes he's landing against them. He, he's, he's not a, a stay on the outside and throw a couple of pinky shots. He's at least keeping on you. But here's what's notable here, right? Jimmy Rivera is what? Five foot. I think, he, I think he's listed at five, five foot four, four with a 68 inch reach. Yeah. He's, he's five foot four with a 68 inch reach. So it's like 
okay, he couldn't track Sterling down. He kept stepping into the pocket and Sterling's gone. When you have a 64-inch reach, it's like, or a 68-inch reach and you're five foot four, you can't find the target. Pedro Munoz, there's the other one he looks good. I, I had to look at this a few times because I thought of the typo. But Pedro Munoz is a 65-inch reach. Mm. Like, how is that even possible? I don't know. But again, he's five foot six and he has a pretty much non-existent reach. So it's no question to me, Sterling's a better athlete than Jimmy Rivera and Pedro Munoz right off the get-go. But being that he's so much longer than them, he can just stay to the outside and have his way. They yeah. step in, he's gone. They step in, he touches them, he's gone. So look at his other fights. Cody Stamen. Cody Stamen's short. Brett Johns. Brett Johns is five foot six. Marlon Moraes, who clocked him out, is five foot six. Henan Barrow is five foot six. Augusto Tinquino Mendez is five foot six. Rafael Asenso is five foot six. He's got a whole career of fighting these short little fucking guys where he just touches them and he's gone. But Corey Sandhagen's five foot eleven and he's got a seventy-two inch reach. He's gonna be uh, there, he's on, gonna be in his face. On topology, <laughs> it says he's got seventy. And Sterling's got seventy one. Okay, but what? either way, it's negligible. Very they're fair, they're fair. around the same length. And uh yeah, Ster- Sterling has an inch reach, which is completely negligible. But it, you I understand your point of He's not used to facing guys that he doesn't have that advantage over. Right. And that and that's that's the key point here is that he's normally fighting guys that he he has a five or six inch reach advantage over and he can just chop them away from distance and get out of the way. Even though he's gonna be faster than Sandhagen, Sandhagen's forward pressure literally the entire time is gonna probably negate that. He's gonna cause him to work. He's gonna cause him to use his wrestling. When he uses his wrestling, that's when we talked about well, that's Aljamain's key here. But here's another little key thing that's noticeable for you. Alderman Sterling went 0 for 7 in takedowns against Pedro Munoz. He also went 0 for 7 in takedowns against Jimmy Rivera. So theoretically speaking, we're talking about how good he looked in his last two fights. He's a combined 0 for 14 in takedowns against those two guys. So it's not some guaranteed walk in the park. He just takes fucking Sanhagen down and holds him down. Like, that's not happening. I think if he does take Sanhagen down, Sanhagen scrambles and gets back up. When it is standing, Sterling's landing Sterling's landing the clean blows, but Sanhagen's going to land more blows. And in a close decision situation, let's say Lineker versus Sanhagen. Lineker landed the better punches, but Sanhagen landed more punches. Much he ends more. up getting the split. Not everybody agrees with it. It's a close decision. It is what it is. This could play out as a close decision. I think mm-hmm. it goes all three. I think that maybe it's a debatable decision that people are online talking about, but it's minus 110 each way. Osmega's got a 50-50, so don't, don't be upset if it's a close decision that goes two or four. You it goes two, no one's upset. If it goes against you, ah, it is what it is. Sending is my play. I like this kid. I've been saying he's a future contender for a while now, and this is the fight that gets him a title shot. So it's time to shine, and I think Corey Sanhagen's uh, gonna gonna go out there and, and I don't want to say you know deliver a message like Sterling's hard to look good against, but I think he mm-hmm. gets the job done. And he, he lets people know he's for real. How about this, Cody? If if my guy loses and I have money on him, I'm just going to claim robbery. <laughs> that's how real close fight. That's how these way. that's how these things work on Twitter, right? Let's move on to the next fight. We've got uh, Neil Magny taking on Rocco Martin. Neil Magny minus one thirty five favorite. Rocco Martin plus one fifteen. Who do you got here? I'm going to go with Anthony Martin. Take the uh, underdog play here. I feel like. Um... I feel like in Neil Magny's case, super talented. There was a lot of question marks of potentially where this guy's head's at going into the last fight against Jing Liang Lee. And just, you know, not that he's been punched up, not that he's been hurting, but, you know, he has been damaged in the past. He has taken some shots. When he tries to take on elite-level competition, he just struggles mightily. Like his wins in the UFC over completely shot to bits Johnny Hendricks, a completely shot to bits Hector Lombard, a completely shot to bits Carlos Condit, and Craig White. You can't even say it was shot to bits because I don't even know what a prime Craig White would actually look like. 
However, it's been a favorable run in that they give them some big-name guys that are at the tail end of their careers. When they give them their Rafael Asuncao's, their Lorenz Larkins, or the Santiago Ponzinibbio's, it's like he's taking a lot of abuse in there, and that's kind of a problem. I think he answered those question marks largely with that fight over Jing Langley, where he goes out there, here's a power puncher, here's somebody that on paper could hurt this guy, could knock him out, he's having chin issues, but he zaps his energy, he ties this guy out, he uses that long-man grappling that he's been known for, and he gets this fight exactly where he wants it, and he dominates it. But I don't think that he's going to be able to use that same passive success against Anthony. Uh, or I, You know what? I, I'm going to call him Rocco Martin because I lost a bet back in the day when he wanted to change his name to Rocco. But this fucking guy wins tonight. I'll call him Rocco. And he did. So Rocco Martin. Yeah, I've been weird doing that, same, that That kind of happened to me too. I used to call him. Uh, it screws me I still up. Called I him call him Tony Anthony for a bit. Now we're just, we're not going Anthony Rocco. We're just going Rocco though. We, we I can, I can yeah, roll with that. He's he's Rocco Mark. He's almost got on the flip side. Like he's he never really hit that same peak as Neil Magny, but he's just been slowly, and I do mean slowly because he's been fighting the UFC for a while now. He's slowly just putting in that work and getting better. His grappling's always getting better. His wrestling's always getting better. How many guys in their right mind would, on their own money, fly down to the Netherlands to be chief sparring partner for Nikki Holtzkin? Like it doesn't make any sense. But the guy is dedicated to his craft, and although he's fighting a lot of mid-pack guys. He's making those improvements. He's getting slowly better. Neil Magny presents a good, you know, a good challenge for him in that Magny has a name in the division. Magny's coming off a nice little win where people seemingly are back on him and they're backing him as a favorite in the spot. But I don't think Neil Magny goes out there and straight up outstrikes Rocco Martin for 15 minutes. Rocco Martin doesn't throw enough volume. He likes to rely on the jab state of the outside. But Magny's whole thing of just being that long, gangly, rangy guy, that, that's offset by the fact that Martin's got a similar body type. So now we go to the ground game. Neil Magny's not taking down Martin. And if he does, he's not submitting him. He's not laying praying. I mean, he's not holding him down. I mean, Rocco Martin went 10 minutes with Damian Maya fucking lashed onto him. Lashed onto him, Paul. And then in the last round, beats him around pillar to post. Damian Maya landed three strikes in that whole fight, which is indicative of that. He wasn't trying to strike because he knew the second I opened myself up, this guy's getting back up. So he just held position, held position. Magny's not going to do that. And so when you look at Martin's run, it's like if you take the Damian Maya fight out of it, he's won five in a row. He's 5-1 and one with that loss in the mix, and he got a 10-8 round on one judge's one George scorecard in the third round anyways. There's a lot to like about this guy and that he's developing into his own. He's super cocky. He's super confident. But now that he's winning and he's seeing the results, he's believing it. And that belief is, is a great thing. I think him and Neil Manning will be a close fight. I think it's going 15 minutes, almost guaranteed. And I think, again, it's going to be a, a tight-knit decision. But this is dogger pass all day. Now, if I'm looking for 115 to 120, depending on the book that you're looking at right now on uh, on Rocco Martin, then yeah, no, it's completely dog or pass as far as I'm concerned. He being the dog, I'm going to load up on some of that value. I think I'm going to lay off betting this fight. Um, uh, Tony Martin came off of a pretty nice, a pretty nice, you know, win over another kind of point fighter in Ramazan Amiev last time out. Uh, 30 27 on most people's cards, 29 28. It was pretty unanimous across the board. And, but I looked into Amiv has a 68 inch reach. So Rocco had what, 73, 73 and a half. So he had five and a half inch reach. Neil Magny's got an 80 inch reach. I feel like Rocco may struggle and he doesn't really throw enough. Neil's just going to be throwing jabs up the center. 
Um, I don't think those jobs are going to stop Rocco Martin, but I also don't think Rocco Martin's like some sort of like crazy murderous power puncher that is going to put Neil Magny no. back in his place either. I think it ends up being competitive. I think Rocco Martin lands the more, uh, more damaging shots because Neil Magny rarely ever does, but that jab up the center of Neil Magny, Neil Magny is a super smart fighter in there, like at all times too. Like he'll fight the best game plan that he can. I think we're going to see a lot of him. Uh, with his jab from distance, and um, I'm leaning towards Magny as the pick, but yeah, it's a fight I'm going to stay away from. I really do expect that it's going to be very, very close and competitive. Let's move on to the next one. We have Sugar Sean O'Malley taking on Eddie Wineland. Sugar Sean, minus 500, Wineland plus 400, um, safe to say, you know, O'Malley after his big layoff, um, you know, for his USADA suspension, which is uh, tainted supplement or whatever. I mean, you look at the guy, it's just like, he doesn't look like he'd be on steroids. Um, he looked very, very improved. He looked like a young guy should look in his last time out. Um, looks like more improvements are on the way. Minus 500 is a steep price to pay, but Eddie hasn't exactly been a murderous power punch. He's not exactly the greatest wrestler. I think the the sugar show goes on here, Cody. Uh, O'Malley, I've been parlaying with with uh, with Nunez, and then usually I find a little third little, little wheel, th- third little part of the party. Um, but I think he rolls here. The kid's just too good, too fast, too crisp. Um, maybe Eddie... Makes it a little bit more difficult, but I think we see a more improved Sugar Sean O'Malley every single time he steps out there. Yeah, dude, I'm a Sugar Sean believer. Uh, to be honest, like his run prior to this layoff for him, he looked good. He looked like a, an improving prospect, but it was like, boy, oh boy, is this guy in for a rude awakening at some point. Like the Terry on Ware fight was remotely close. Mm-hmm. Andre Sukumantas fight, bad IQ actually saves him in that fight. And then he's just, he's gone. He's vanished. He's got a, I think he popped once for weed and once for a tainted supplement. Mm-hmm. But regardless, it's like, I didn't think he was cheating. All that time off is the blessing in disguise. And, and, and I know a good, good, good personal friend of mine, he told me, he says, Sean O'Malley's for real. And this is, this is like, he had fun two years. Like he's taking the suspension and he has, he, he's coming into the Quinones fight. And he's just like, yeah, that guy's for real. I'm like, what have you seen in the last two years? Which is nothing. That would allow you to believe he's for real. He's like, no, 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 I've seen Tom. Like, trust me. Like, you watch even just, like, Instagram videos. He's hitting mitts from when he left last to now. You see his body type. You see that when he was fighting in the UFC before, there's a lot of interviews that talk to him. He talks about how he didn't know nothing about nutrition, nothing about strength and conditioning. He's eating Pop-Tarts, and yet he's going out and competing at a high level, right? Him getting popped on that supplement is probably also just him being naive. Like, he just doesn't really know what he's doing. He's taking some supplement, doesn't quite know what's in it. Mm-hmm. Now he's, like, full board on the strength and conditioning program. The guy looks in fucking phenomenal shape. He moves super crisp. He moves clean. He seems like a good athlete. Um, and I just feel like he's coming into his own. The UFC's best bet is don't rush this kid along. Because, A, he seemingly has the star quality potential that you're looking for. He's got a good fan base. He reaches out to a demographic of people that don't necessarily watch fights. I mean, he's... He's big on the, the video game side of things. But also, I mean, he's 25 years old. He's smoking blunts on Instagram. He gets social media. He's got a fan base. You know, like, this is somebody that you don't have to throw the whole marketing machine behind. He's his own marketing machine. He's doing a great job. If he can win fights, you can build this guy up properly. Now we got to set him up with winnable fights. We don't want somebody that's just going to take this guy down. Because even though he's been working a lot on his wrestling and his jiu-jitsu, 
he needs that as an ace in the back pocket in case, well, for whatever reason, he's not getting the better of the stand-up changes, that he can take the fight to the ground. Eddie Wineland just poses that perfect opponent because, one, he's a former WBC champ, so hardcores know him as a former world title uh, challenger in the UFC and a former world champion in the WEC. But, like, he's had his, he's had his better days. Mm-hmm. I, I think, like, again, he's, like, 21 days short of his 36th birthday. But here's actually something that might not mean anything to a lot of people, but means something to me, right? This is his wins and overall fights as far as, like, the UFC goes for Eddie Wineland, right? His last time out, he beat Gregory Popov, and that was a good win for him because he's coming off two-fight losing streak, hadn't fought in over a year, uh, question marks on whether this guy still wants to compete, he beats Popov. Popov is 36 years old. When he fought Takeo Mizugaki, Mizugaki was 34. Frankie Science, 39. Yves Jean Boyne, 37. Brad Pickett, Scott Jorgensen, Ken Stone. He hasn't fought, he hasn't beaten an opponent younger than him. In 10 years, Paul, wow. it's been 10 years since he's beaten an opponent that was younger than him. The guys that were younger than him, Joseph Benavidez, Hennon Burrell, Brian Caraway, John Dodson, Alejandro Perez, they all beat him. But he's not beaten an opponent younger than him in 10 years. So now he's 36 years old, and the UFC has done exactly what you do with these guys. He's a gatekeeper. He's one in three in his last three fights, or he's one in two in his last three fights. His fights against like Mizugaki's not with the organization anymore. Popov shouldn't have been there. There's a lot of guys on his record that just aren't there anymore. He's a gatekeeper. He's a veteran guy, and he's real entertaining. He keeps his hands by his hips. He peacocks. He throws big old right hands. He's got decent counter wrestling because he keeps his hands so low. He's always ready for the shot. But like he's not a wrestling specialist. His ground game's no hell. He's got good ground and pound. Mm-hmm. But it's like he poses everything for that Sean O'Malley's rise up. Who, I'm not saying Sean O'Malley is going to be a world champion. I'm not saying that in the next two years this guy's fighting for the title. I'm saying this is the logical rise for a young prospect is to fight the Eddie Winelands of the world. And this is this is great matchmaking. This is a good job on the UFC's point. But it opened at 400, and it was like, oh, shit. So everyone's seeing right through it as a setup fight. Now it's 500. Come fight time, it could be up to 600. Like, it is getting into banana peel pricing because we've seen this guy break his leg before. <laughs> so Eddie Wineland doesn't have great ring IQ either, by the way, but he's not – Andre Sugmatath uh, <laughs> out there. So I, I don't know. Again, the nail peel pricing is going to exist at some point. Yeah. But O'Malley's way faster than this guy, way sharper than this guy, way cleaner than this guy. If he just keeps it to the outside for a little bit, he hits him. As soon as he hurts him, he can get him to the ground if he wants. He's got multiple passive victories. And I think the Sugar Show rides on. There we go. On the same page on that one, we move on down the card. We got uh, Chase Hooper taking on Alex Caceres, minus 185 Hooper, plus 160 Caceres. This thing opened at like a pick which good for you guys for getting on that one early. And then last night it was like minus 165. This is the third fight that I had parlayed with Sugar Sean O'Malley and Amanda Nunez, which got me last night, it got me up to plus 130. Probably wouldn't go much more that like you want at least plus one hundred. I would say to do that parlay. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go very much further than that. Um, uh, the reason why I want I have a chase or chase Hooper. I don't think the striking is great whatsoever. Um, he's gonna take a bit of a beating, but he kind of approaches a fight from what I've seen as a guy who knows that hey, I'm twenty years old. I can take a hellacious beating. And uh, all I have to really do is get a hold of you. When he does get a hold of you, he's so long and weird and gangly and, uh, and, and awkward that, like, he's able to, like, his arms are long and his legs are long. He's able to, like, kind of wrap you up like a pretzel. 
Yeah, I watched uh, Alex Caceres versus Crone Gracie, and of course, Crone Gracie's jujitsu is on a whole different level. But it didn't take very long for Crone to just be able to grab a hold of him. Once he did, he was able to posture again into position. Alex Caceres has a history of of beating guys who. Uh, or sorry, of losing to guys by submission and going through. All right, let's throw out Steve Ocho Peterson, uh, his last opponent, who still has a job in the UFC. But let's go through his other wins. Martin Bravo, Rolando D, Cole Miller, Massio Fullen, Sergio Pettis, and that is back in 2014. Roland DeLorme. Uh, Montanuma Tezuka. I've been doing a show for 10 years, and I don't even, re- I don't even remember that guy being in the UFC. <laughs> what I'm saying is, like, besides Steve Ocho Peterson, who Alex Caceres had a big reach advantage over, that's what he has to do. He's going to try to stay on the outside, be very glo- uh, graceful. He's going to try to float. But you can only do that for so long. I think Chase Hooper gets a hold of him, and it's not, it may not be pretty early on, but Chase Hooper gets the job done, so I added him to the parlay. What do you think about that? Yeah, so going back to your Tezuka thing really quick, like not only is it just like, what the fuck? But it's like he won a split, and he had lost a split to Edwin Figueredo. He has a split no contest with Mr. Perfect, who I like, but let's move on. A split over Roland DeLorme. A split with Yair Rodriguez, which I don't understand that one. A split with Wang Wang. A split with Martin Bravo. It's like, holy shit, dude. Outside of that aforementioned Yair Rodriguez, like he's got splits with five or six guys who are like, don't hold down jobs at the company anymore. Mm-hmm. And argumentatively should have never held down jobs at the UFC in the first place. And he squeaks by those guys. So you know what? He, like Bruce Leroy is crafty. He can strike a little bit. He can wrestle a little bit. He can grapple a little bit. But he's there to just test guys that are either up-and-coming prospects, unproven guys. Guys that don't make that next step up. Maybe Chase Hooper. This is again, this is the UFC presenting Hooper with an opportunity. This is our guy, Bruce Leroy. He's fought 21 times in the UFC. He has about a 50-50 record in the UFC. The guys that he's beaten are no longer with the UFC. Mm-hmm. The guys he's lost to, a lot of them are also no longer with the UFC. But a lot of them at least proven that they're you know can go on and prosper a little bit. Yeah, it's a good task for a 20-year-old Chase Hooper who again shouldn't be rushed along. He shouldn't be taking on guys like if his if his move is his grappling. You can't put him up against a stiff grappling opposition because it's like we know he can't strike and we know his wrestling is limited. He needs a path to victory where he, if the fight hits our ground, Hooper's got him. At least he has that with Caceres. Caceres is a black belt. He's a decent grappler as well. But he just he struggles tremendously with size, I think. Mm-hmm. And he's a guy that's always kind of long, gangly, more of a, a pure martial artist than a specialist in anything. But he fought at 135 pounds, and it seemed like that was best suited for his weight class. For whatever reason, he decides, you know, he doesn't like the weight cuts anymore. He comes back up to 145 pounds, which he had campaigned back in the day. And since then, it just seems like he's a little bit out of place. Once somebody gets a hold of him and once somebody gets him to the ground, he's just dealing largely against, you know, power disadvantages, strength disadvantages. You can hold him into position. You can submit this guy. You can defeat him. Guang Wang, very one-dimensional, but strong, decent wrestler. Just apply the pressure on him, and you should be able to get the job done. Now, I'm I'm against always like, oh man, I would bet it at this price, I'd bet it at this price, because we do the show later on in the week so that you know we allow development to happen. And listen, Hooper opened up as the underdog, right? He was yeah. 110 versus 120 for Bruce Leroy. That's an all day, twice on Sunday. Mm-hmm. You bet it, and I think Hooper because it's a dog. That, at that point, let's say you just called it a dog or pass, you're getting the dog. Hooper at 135, that was the move. Hooper at 145 it starts to get a little bit, but you take it. 55 it was last night now it's 85 and one has to wonder is it going to keep going like it had touched at some books 200 yesterday 
before re-coming back down to 185. Yeah. So I don't know. If you like Cooper, you're going to want to get on him. Don't be jumping on him when he's 230, 240, 250. Yeah, don't get too aggressive. Because, because again, you have a 20-year-old kid. He's a one-fight UFC veteran. Yeah, and he's taking on a 31-year-old man who has 21 fights in the UFC, including a tough run. And on top of that, you know, trains at a good camp, uh, a good camp, has uh, teammates on the card. One thing I'll tell you about that, bud, is uh, Caceres no longer training with O'Malley and company. I listened oh, wait, to. Do you know uh, uh, no, I think it's just somewhere. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, yeah, Sugar Show, a fan of ours. I, I forget. There's so there's a lot of new. Uh, thanks for passing along all that stuff. We do see it, um, and this is kind of proof of it. He sent me uh, Sugar Sean's like little breakdown of fights. So I was like, I was real interested because I, I was kind of under the impression that Caceres was still there. So he gets there. He's like, Yeah, uh, Alex used to train here or used to train with us. Good guy, love him a lot. And you could tell he was just hesitating so much on giving his prediction of this fight. You know, Hooper hasn't been around very much. Blah, 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 blah. But then eventually he ended up, and you know this is kind of like a dead giveaway. Um, he ended up at the end of it all being like, yeah, I think Hooper eventually gets a, gets a hold of him and, and, and puts an end to it, closes the show. So he's even picking against his old teammate. Yeah, and you know what? Like, I, I, I see it as well. Again, it goes back down to the 135. Is that since he's moved up to 145, he's dealing a lot, like a lot with – just the size and the power of these guys, but Hooper's six foot one. Like mm-hmm. he's not exactly a small featherweight. The guys, the guys, you know, the guy's Very biggest gangly. move, his biggest attribute, yeah, is the fact that he's just super gangly. Now listen, Con Gracie is the greatest back taker in the history of back takes, mm-hmm. and has the best rear naked choke in the history of rear naked chokes. So that one's not. It's not like ah, oh, dude, it is. But but the guy can't fucking wrestle. And all he needed to do is he didn't need get to wrestle him, him to the ground. You just need to get a hold of him. Yeah, yeah. He just needed to clasp his hands around his waist. Yeah, that's, that's what. It. That's what this Hooper comes. doesn't seem to tire. He just keeps it going. So at some point, you got to assume he rips him to the ground. And yeah. when he does, he's got great ground and pound. Open this guy up. Do what you got to do. Uh, the price where it's at right now, I'm still going to tell you. Yeah, Hooper at 185. Fuck, I don't like that as much as when it was 110. No. But yeah, yeah. He he he's the play. But just be careful that don't overvalue a kid with who's this green still sure. and he's got a funny haircut and he and him and Ben Askren have some funny uh you know back yep. and forth on Twitter like he's really easy to like and he's so young but we you got to see more fights out of him more more cage time before we settle on whether he's the real deal or not yeah I think at the end of the day we're going to move on to the next fight I just think that Caceres has to fight pretty much like a perfect stylistic fight and he, I think he's capable of doing it against somebody who's as green as Hooper but it's it's so much easier for Hooper to look horrible, just get like tagged up and then get a hold, get on top. And when he did get on top, like his transitions were sick last time out. Uh, he went right after it immediately against uh, Bad Tamor. Obviously, he was taking on Bad Tamor. I don't think it's all that much of a step up in competition, especially at this point. At this point in Caceres' career. All right, let's move on. We've got uh, Ian Heinish taking on Gerald Mearshart. Heinish minus 135, Mearshart plus 115. Take it away, Cody. Yeah, I got to go with Ian Heinish to get back on the right track here. And I see money coming on Mearshart. The line's getting it's narrowing up big time, no doubt about it. <clears throat> but yeah, I think that Ian Heinish is just, I think he's got the style to pull this one out. What he hasn't been dealing good with is just guys that are way faster than him, guys that are, at least on paper, better wrestlers than him. So up until he runs into Brunson and Amari Akhmedov, I mean, he's everyone's darling of the UFC. He beats Mutanche, beats Antonio Carlos Jr., 
cashing with good price tags. People like him. He got that contender series fight. Great. We like Ian Heinish. Brunson's just far too fast for him, and Brunson's a better wrestler, let's be honest. So Heinish has a good first round, but eventually he's having trouble tracking Brunson. He can't take the fight to the ground, and this becomes Heinish's problem. His striking is not refined enough for him to strike with you for 15 minutes. He can strike with you choppy striking for three or four minutes, but he needs to close the distance to get a hold of you and take you down at some point. He needs to mix the takedown in at some point. The Akhmedov fight, he had better success in getting the fight to the ground. Problem is, Akhmedov does this every time. The guy's a brick wall for 10 minutes. Like He's hard to take down. Mm -hmm. He stings you with shots. He's moving. And then in the third round, whether he's shit gassed or just knows he's up two rounds, that's when you come back on him. I mean, that's exactly what Heinrich did. He's just, he's down two rounds at the point. Yeah. So now that, okay, now I got a bit of a problem is that he needs to be able to secure these takedowns and he needs to, you know, outstrike in, in pieces. Gerald Mearshart's made a lot of improvements. The guys realized, you know what, I'm easy to take down. So when I am standing, I'm just going to throw caution to the wind. And I like it. His last fight is drawing wind cost me a lot of money, but just through caution to the wind, and made him work and tired him out and beat his ass. And then eventually made him botch on a takedown, gets on top of him, chokes this guy out with a rear naked choke. It's like, damn, Mearshart's really coming to his own. But again, maybe that's just favorable matchmaking, right? When you look at the guys that he's fought, <clears throat> his wins are mostly his opponent shitting the bed, right? Like Trevin Giles shit the bed against that one. He, he won the first two rounds. But he's so gassed in the third round, he just shoots his head right into the guillotine choke and he gets tapped out. Deron Wynn, he tired really quick. He had no plan B in that fight. Never even tried to wrestle until it was too late anyway. He took way too much damage by the time he switched to what should have been his plan A. It's a bad performance. The Eric Anders fight's not a good fight. The Kevin Holland fight's not a good fight. The Jack Hermanson fight, as far as Mearshart's concerned, not a good fight. So it's not as if he's out there just looking awesome and crushing guys. It's like, like if you're not legit, if you're not the real deal, Mearshart is more than capable of taking advantage of you and exposing your ass. Maybe Heinrich is not as legit as we thought he was, but I think his wrestling is going to be at, like good enough to take down Mearshart when Mearshart overcommits. What he's got to do is just make sure when Mearshart comes at him, you know, he's going to He's going to push through. He's going to stand up to the blows. And I think that's where it's key for him is that when you when you look at Jeremy Richard, he fights a lot of guys that have had maybe potentially durability issues. Like Kevin Holland's got gas issues and Trevin Giles has got cardio issues. Deron Wynn has cardio issues. Some of those guys have chin issues. Ian Hines doesn't have those issues. His cardio is good. It's on point. Again, he's another one of these Denver fighters, trains at altitude, in good shape. But also, he's got a cast iron chin. Like, the guy takes shots. He takes shots and he perseveres through. He has been submitted one time in his career. Maybe that's the path for Mearshart. Mearshart is a nasty submission artist. Yeah. You got to keep on him. Just beat him with his output. Break this guy down. And then submit him. But I don't see him getting a clean takedown on Heinrich. So Heinrich is going to have to run out of gas, get beat up, and fall over before Mearshart gets on top of him to submit him. And I don't know if that happens. Yeah. So honestly, I like that it's narrowing because I do see it being a close fight. I have a lot of respect for Jeremy Mearshart. The guy's proven... Maybe, in my opinion, not the most talented or skilled guy, but a, a real-life fucking fighter. Like, this guy is there to do his job. At 32 years old, he's very fun. He's action-packed. He more than deserves his roster spot. I look forward to watching him. But Styles make fights, and Heinrich's style hasn't worked out in his last two fights, but I do think he pulls it through here, gets the job done. So, reluctantly, I will take Heinrich minus 135. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I'll add on to Heinrich there is that, um, I mean, I'm not too... Uh, anything can happen, but I'm not too concerned about him getting submitted. He was able to handle Antonio Carlos Jr. Um, I mean, you had that whole back. joke about, like, he can't have his back taken if he spent that much time in Rikers, which was hilarious at the time. And it and it came through for you. That uh, 
that narrative. That's the only thing I'll really add. I actually I have a bet on I have a bet on Heinish, but it was at a straight pick'em the other night. So yeah, that parlay I kind of talked about early and Heinish at like minus one ten or one twenty. It wasn't one thirty five. Those are the only two bets I've actually made before. Uh, you sounded like you were going to say something. Yeah, well, my my little bit there was that he's he spent a lot of time on his take uh, like on his grappling defense. Gabriel Checo, people probably remember from Smith Underground this past weekend, submitted uh, Paige Van Zandt's husband in Austin. Fucking guy's a high end black belt. Cesar Ferreira, high end black belt. Tony Carlos Jr., high end black belt. They all had him in compromising situations, but he perseveres. The joke being, yep. you spend time on Rikers Island. Yeah, you got to defend that because once you go out. It goes in. You don't want to be in that situation, Paul. So the guy knows how to fucking protect himself. No doubt about that. And I, I think he gets a victory comes out of it. All right. We got Cody Stamen taking on Brian Boom Kelleher. This fight at uh, 145 pounds. Uh, who you got in this one, Code? Yeah, I got to say Brian Kelleher's uh, run of magic's got to run up here. I didn't think he'd be the biggest 145er and that just wasn't a weight class for him. Goes out there against Hunter Azur and he capitalized, man, capitalized big, got the big victory, no doubt about it. But that's no denying that he didn't look like he was a comfortable 145-pounder. Mm-hmm. And he, a lot of it was he capitalized on hunters who were super green. We didn't really know a ton about him in the sense that he's undefeated, haven't seen him lose. Can he take a punch? What's his cardio like? Didn't fight a great game plan either. Like, everyone's talking about he's going to take Kelleher down. What a great double. Like, this guy's got great cardio. He tired three minutes in the first round and effectively shot no takedown. Yeah. So it wasn't great. Shat, now, the win before that, Odie my, Osborne. Shat in my apple pies that night. Yeah, yeah, shat, yeah. trust me. John, I'm in the same boat as you. I fucking sat on here and told you I thought Hunter Zur was going to win. Hunter Zur just didn't fight to his, I wouldn't say his capability. He looked good in the first round. Just It wasn't a great game plan. Just exclusively stand and throw heat with this guy. And when uh, when Kelleher took his best punches early in the first round, it just demoralized him. Second round, Kelleher's still in space coming for him. It's a problem. But at 145, He's going to run into a problem with size. Now, Cody Stamen is not a 45er. He's a 35er as well. So maybe that size doesn't have any type of issue whatsoever. But I feel like Cody Stamen will go to his wrestling. When he gets his, get his wrestling going, he just poses a lot more problems. Like, mm-hmm. he's a better striker than Hunter Azor. He's got a good chin. He's got good cardio. He's just looking increasingly better every time out. Um, Song Yudong fight, I mean, let's be real. He probably should have won it. But beyond that, I mean, he was in a good fight with Aljamain Sterling where he actually took down Aljamain Sterling. The, the win prior to that, Brian Carraway, was a top-ranked guy at the time. It was a good win for him, right? The Tom Dukanoy fight. Tom Dukanoy, who's no good, by the way, but was touted as the fucking man. It's like this guy is routinely showed up against good-name competition and made a good case of himself. Mm-hmm. Not taking easy fights, and he, he comes out there and he looks a little bit better every time. Where he has his advantages in Kelleher is he doesn't throw a ton of volume, but Kelleher's just going to wing on these big punches. Whereas I think Stamen's going to be cleaner, he's going to be a little more precise, he's got better kick game. The wrestling, advantage goes to Stamen. The grappling, I'm thinking advantage goes to Stamen outside of a Kelleher, maybe guillotine choke, which, again, I don't see happening. I got Stamen. There's two things that I want to touch on in this fight beyond just, you know, we talked about, I think Cody Stamen is a superior fighter skill-wise. I think that he he also, by the way, he, his UFC debut against Terry on where was at 145. Didn't look out of place in that fight. Wasn't a great fight. Didn't look out of place in that fight. I, th- I think he'll be comfortable here. Two things worth talking about here. One, 260 is a price tag for Cody Stamen. It's a little bit much. I think he wins this fight, but there's no denying that Cody Stamens is in a lot of close fights. Like he's winning these, don't get me wrong, but they're close fights. Him versus Song Yudong ended up being a majority split, but regardless, all the rounds are close. Him versus Alejandro Perez, it was relatively close. Him and Caraway was a split. Him and Tom Dukanoy was a split. Him and Terry and Ware was close. All of his wins have come by decision. His one loss has been a knee bar against Aljamain Sterling. So the fights generally go to decision, and they're generally close. 
So you don't want to bet a 260 favorite if that's the way you see it's going to go happening. Kelleher, maybe he finishes Kelleher, but Kelleher needs to be taking on a potent finisher for you to knock him out or submit him. And Cody Stamen just hasn't really proven to be a potent finisher. One little thing, I, I don't think I'm reporting this news, but I haven't seen anybody talk about it, but I have Cody Stamen on, on Facebook and his little brother Jacob passed away on Sunday. I saw so that. I'm actually shocked that he's taking the fight, to be honest. He said he's doing it and in his honor. Yeah, yeah. Like I, when I saw it on Sunday, I didn't even bother to tape the fight because I was like, no fucking way it happens. And I've had statement on Facebook for a long time because, you know, Michigan regional scene guy, you know, worked with a lot of guys in his camp, <clears throat> have interactions with them. Uh, that's a close knit family, man. He's got two brothers and a sister. They're all athletes. They were all wrestlers. Uh, his little brother, same thing. I think he's a high school state champion. It's like a very, very close knit family. And Stamen left Michigan to go to Vegas. He's been in Vegas for the last while, not just because of this virus thing, but because he was kind of relocating his camp out to Vegas regardless. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't know, I guess he hadn't seen his brother in a while. And I don't, I don't know the nature of how his brother passed away, but that's, that's some heavy shit, man. And like, how do you, you back a guy now at 260 under the pretense now of like he's not gonna fucking yeah, it's hard lose to now or know. or do you look at it like that's some emotional shit dude it can what be good an adrenaline dump after the first five minutes it could be good or bad that's rough it's hard to know it could be good or bad some people some people that would like he's gonna come out and be like un indestructible and then some people maybe it'll fuck with you and kind of you know and like i don't know it's it's hard to really say um, I'm with you. Though. When you look at Walt Harris's situation, everyone said, "Well, dude, if Overeem's on top of him, he's just going to think about it." Yeah. You know, I don't even want to talk too much about that situation. But, but just he's going to be so motivated that he will just overpower out of whatever spot and will fight to the death. It's like, dog, it don't work like that. No. It's fucking human chess. So, so I mean, yeah, that was a lot more pressure on. There, but... That was a lot more pressure on Walt Harris, though. Main event versus Alistair Overeem, one of the most experienced guys. This is like deep, deep. Well, it's on the the TV prelims, buried pretty deep. Like the level of pressure may be a little bit different, of course. But I, I get what you're saying there for sure. I, I, I'll just I'll just cap it off with saying this one last point on it. Right, Cody Stamen's made a career out of fighting a good game plan, not an emotion back game plan. He fights smart game plan. That's why a lot of his fights are going to decision because he's not he's not overexerting himself. He's not putting himself in a bad position. He's not trying to force the issue. He just beats you. He just goes through the motions and makes sure he's winning. Right, that's winnable fight. That's how he fights. That's when he fights at his best. Not a whole lot of emotion there. Keller fights quite the opposite. Kelleher needs to drag you into a gunfight. Mm -hmm. Kelleher needs to make this a fucking war. And Kelleher's biggest wins, Yuri Alcantara. Dude, he's like a fucking five-to-one underdog in that fight. He drags him into a war. He beats him. Henan Barrow, he's a massive underdog in this fight. Uh, or Sorry, actually, he went off at 130. That's not massive. He's the underdog in that fight. He drags him into a war. Lineker, he was dragging him into a war. Unfortunately, that's just the wrong guy to try to do that with. But again, in his last two fights, it's the same thing. Odie Osborne was a prospect that, you know, is green. He's got an eight and two record. He's at a ruthless sport. He's there to get exposed. Hunter Azuri's undefeated. We don't know a ton about him. When when he puts that fucking pressure on you and you try to give it back, that's where he can shine a little bit. Stamen doesn't fight that game plan. So my now my only little question mark there would be if Stamen goes out there and Kelleher just offers him up this fight of the night, let's stand toe to toe and gun. Is he is he not going to say you know what let's do this? Pro actually, you know what I'm going to defy defy my own thought there. There's no crowd, so fuck it. Even even if it gets yeah. to a gunfight, his, his coaches will just be like, dude, stop, stop. it. Stop. <laughs> yeah, you won't yeah, get right, like right. Okay, raw okay. and emotional here, 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 the same way. 
Yeah, that makes okay. So then, then this is my last point. Okay. Three Cody's are going to win at two fifty. Cody Garbrandt, Cody Stamen, Cody Saftik. Book it, Paul. <laughs> I don't know if you can add Cody Saftik to the ticket. Uh, we've got Charles Bird taking on Mackie Patolo. Charles Bird minus one seventy. Mackie Patolo, breaker of Cody Cody Saftik's heart. Last time out against Callan Potter is plus one fifty. Are you going back to the well with uh, Mackie Patolo, your boy? Oh, yeah. No, dude, never again. I mean, <laughs> friends Cuff, don't let friends bet on people who lost to Callan Potter. That was a bad, dude, that was Callan a bad show. Callan Potter rung his bell absolutely pillar to post. He just kicked his ass. He was yep. out striking him. He was out grappling him. He had a better gas tank. And perhaps the most laughable thing of all he was half his size mm-hmm. like ah, uh, absolutely killed me yeah Mackie patolo here's the thing hardcore fans will remember cabbage carrera he was the man he's a hawaiian heavyweight love to come love to throw hands terrible record in the ufc but was just like super entertaining prior to coming to the ufc beat some good guys clipped some decent guys on his way up but ultimately it's like the skill's not there to back it up that's Mackie patolo i mean his nickname's coconut bomb clearly for a reason the guy's a good boxer. It, it, I just think good. He's a decent boxer. And he, he hits you, he can pose a big problem. He can hurt you. Charles Bird's been knocked out in his last two fights. Charles Bird's 36 years old. Charles Bird could theoretically go out there and get clipped by Patola. But if he doesn't, Patola just doesn't seem to have – he doesn't have the skills to form a plan B. Like, what does he go on beyond that? And here's, here's a problem for you. So, as I mentioned, Callum Potter being so much smaller than him. That fight was at 170, right? Now he's coming up to 185 pounds. Now, mind yeah. you, he has fought at 185 pounds in the past, but his last three losses are Cassius Kane, Dakota Cochran, and Callum Potter. Cassius Kane's a 170. Dakota Cochran fights at 170, but is his 55er, and Callum Potter's a 170. So, like, he's losing predominantly. I mean, Cassius Kane knocked him out in five seconds into the second round. Five seconds. Walked out, clocked him. It's like, okay, maybe his chin's not great. Small little welterweight, not known for tremendous power, knocks him out. Dakota Cochran, gay porn with Dakota Cochran, you're thinking about that, right? He he submits him. Kalen Potter beats him pillar to post. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what what are we getting behind on him that he has power? And and that, yes, that might be enough to beat Charles Bird. But let me just remind everybody that Charles Bird's last two losses, one, Edin Shabazian, absolutely zero shame in that. Kid's a rising star. Yep. Kid's on his way up. No shame in that. The second one, Darren Stewart, he was doing good against Darren Stewart. Was- who's hard to look good against, I suppose. But he was wrestling a little bit. He was grappling. He exerted too much energy. He was working too hard. And as a result, he ends up just fatiguing and caught late. I don't think Patolo makes him work as much. I don't think Patolo's got as good defensive grappling anyways as the Darren Stewart. And I think that if Charles Burgess fights the right game plan, gets this guy down, doesn't sit there and exchange bonds with him, he does get the job done. However, I can't confidently back him, so I'm going to take a pass. Because, yeah, when one guy's only path to victory is throw hands, big hands, and you've been KO'd the last two times, 36. I've never been sold on him in his run. Like, let's be real here. He won two contender series fights because they didn't want to sign him off the first one against both of them are lackluster competition. And then you beat John Phillips. You know, lackluster competition is an understatement for John Phillips before losing his last two. So he fights low-level competition. He wins some, he loses some. He's losing to the better guys. Macatolo is not a better guy. He should get the win. I think he's going to get the win. I'm backing him to get the win. But I'm hitting a pass just because I do see a world as well where Macatolo doesn't do much. But yeah, and, and Lands a coconut bomb. Yeah, and then the last, the last point I want to make is I'll give Patolo a little shout-out just to not completely write him off. But 
he, he fights on contender series against uh, Justin Sumter and the fights at 185 pounds and he knocks him the fuck out left hook to the body first round guy looks like he's got some upside. Mm-hmm. Now he takes on Callum Potter only the Potter fight was at 170. So despite him winning at 185 pounds, getting his contract at 185 pounds, he takes the Callum Potter fight at 170 and he looked like dog shit, absolute dog shit. And that becomes key here because four months after the Callum Potter fight, he was booked to take on, Takashi Sato at UFC on ESPN plus like 26. Patolo pulled out from the fight like the day of, two days of, due to illness from a weight cut. That fight was at 170 pounds. So my theory being here is that he fucking felt good against Sumter at 185, come out there and lift this guy up, look good. Decides, I'm going to go down to 170. Comes down to 170, had his bad weight cut against Colin Potter, and as a result, shits an egg. Tries to fight at 170 again, his body just shuts down. Dude, we're not doing this. So now he's at 185. So he may give a better version of himself at 185. That includes more coconut bombs, which is how he's going to get this win if he's going to get this win. So hard pass for me, but I bet you it'll be a fun fight however it plays out. We got Alex Perez taking on Juicy A Formiga. Alex Perez minus 125 favorite. Juicy Formiga can be had for plus 105. Knee-jerk reaction, I guess, on this was to go with the underdog. Juicy A Formiga. Um, But my concern... There is a little bit of concern with him. Thirty-five-year-old, thirty-five-year-old uh, flyweight um, usually does great against anybody who has a grappling advantage of over. And Alex Perez tries to get it onto the mat a bunch. I don't know if he really wants to do that with Juicy Formiga, the guy who we used to call like the Spider Monkey because he's just he can kind of just jump on your back from anywhere. He's very, very good at that. Um, yeah, I'm leaning towards Formiga here. I don't, I don't want to lay chalk with Alex Perez, um, but something about Formiga, you know, coming off of the loss against Brandon Moreno, who I guess we we're talking about that gym and and all of that. They're kind of on fire, but I don't know. Maybe maybe the tracks, maybe maybe we're coming to the end of the uh, Juicy A Formiga experience here. He is my pick right now. I don't have the balls to pull the trigger, but Juicy Formiga is my pick. What about you? Yeah, I think the glory days for old Formiga are done, so I'm going to go with Alex Perez. Formiga has had a phenomenal run in that he's used pretty much a one-dimensional skill set and has pulled that bitch as far as you can go. He has. And he's done very good, but at some point when you, at some point when that grappling is a little less potent, when that back take is a little less effective, mm-hmm. when you're scrambling a little less explosive, you you become just too hittable. You become too one-dimensional, like a Ronnie Yaya. Ronnie Yaya did the same thing. I got one skill set. I'm very good at it. I'll make it work. Formiga is more well-rounded than Ronnie Yaya, but I don't know that if he's not just taking you down and taking your back, I just don't know that there's enough out of there for him. And when I mean the wheels are starting to fall off for him, no doubt when this guy was at his best, he's picked up some nice wins over some clutch competition. I mean, you know, even as recently as the Davidson Figueredo win, which will stick out for a lot of people. Well, let's look at the two fights since then. Benavidez fight, no shame against the number two guy in the world. You know, great fighter, had beaten you already, knocks you out. Benavidez had the knockout win already over him, knocks him out a second time. So let's not not necessarily talk about maybe his chin starting to leave him. But it's interesting enough that it's like he did get punched out by a relatively light power puncher. It's fine. It's the Brandon Moreno fight where mm-hmm. it's like now I really get the sense that the wheels are off. Yeah. In the Brandon Moreno fight, he effectively landed 15 strikes throughout the fight. Now, that's fine because he had landed 15 against Joseph Benavidez, and he had landed 
18 against Sergio Pettis and 26 against Figueroa. He doesn't throw punches ever. All these fights go to decision for the most part. He doesn't throw punches. So he has to rely on creating a scramble and taking your back. Mm -hmm. And he does that against Brandon Moreno. And this is his key, Paul. Take this fucking guy's back. Submit him. The problem is, is that once he got it, he didn't do anything with it. Once he got it that one time, he never got it again. Mm -hmm. He went one for nine on takedowns against Brandon Moreno. And what the problem became is that Brandon Moreno is great scrambling. And Brandon Moreno is young, he's got good gas tank, and he wants it, and he's pushing a pace, and he's in your face, and he's a much better superior boxer. That all was what it took and all it needed to defeat Formiga. Perez is going to pose the exact same problem. He's a good wrestler, he's a good grappler, he has good, he's got a decent enough boxing advantage here that I think that even if Formiga takes him down, he just got to survive. And he's good enough grappler to survive. And beyond that, the, the chances will become fewer and far between, maybe lesser and lesser, and this guy's going to let his hands go. Perez is impressing me a lot, man. I mean, think about just his whole run in the UFC. Outside of a potential head clash loss to Joseph Benavidez, he just looks better every time. The competition's not great, but he's, he's just, he looks like he's really coming into his own. Timo Yama guy, the more California, only 28. He's, he's getting the confidence, and that's where I feel like where for me is lacking. We got a guy here, he's seven years younger, he, he's confident, He's on a winning streak. He's feeling good. He can scramble. He can wrestle. He can strike. All things that are going to give Formiga a problem. And we've got 35-year-old Formiga. He's lost his last two fights. He relies basically on just taking that back and holding you for points. I just can't get behind him. So even though he is the underdog, and I don't mind that whole theory of maybe just a dog or pass on a fight like this, plus 105 is just not enough for me. So i got to go with Alex Perez, 125. Fair. Uh, we got Alonzo Menafield taking on Devin Clark. Alonzo Menafield minus 220 favorite. Devin Clark can be had for plus 180. I mean, Alonzo Menafield, 9-0 in his career. Seven, uh, seven first-round knockouts, two second-round knockouts. His UFC run has been, if you count the contender series, all first-round knockouts. Devin Clark has a history of, you know, he's a pretty good, pretty good grinder. Former 185-pounder, and this is 205. you got to put that in perspective. Kind of a grinder, wants to put you up against the case. Doesn't necessarily have the greatest chin. Has been exposed there by the likes of Alex Nicholson, Jan Blahovich, and Alexander Rakic. I think the uh, Alonzo Menafield show carries on here. It could get in. Like, if, if this gets out of... The first round, and Devin Clark gets a couple takedowns. I, I feel like the problem with Menafield is that he's been so good, absolutely just dusting fools, that we haven't really had to see him go through any adversity. So that is like my only real hesitation, but it kind of just smells like a Menafield first round knockout uh, is probably in the cards. What's your take here? This this is the kind of fight that I'm so in on Menafield that I have to just take my foot back and not go super in it because this is going to cost me a lot of money. Like Menafield's upside is bang, the downside is likely bust. He knocks out guys so fast mm-hmm. that what happens if he just gets grinded up against the cage for a few rounds? Like it, you carry that much muscle, he's very well put together. Yeah, you carry that much muscle, you carry that much power. You know, he's he's a very explosive fighter and just dynamite guy. So what happens if he doesn't get that first round finish or that second round finish? You know, at that is, is the wheels going to completely fall off in this guy, like a Trevin Giles, where if nothing happens in the first two rounds, seemingly it, it really goes south quick. You just don't know, and that's one other thing I'll give Devin Clark. For as much as we like to talk about his chin issues, I mean, what what chin issues? He's lost to pretty good guys, dude. Like outside of Alex Nicholson, like mm-hmm. Rakic beat him, Jan Blockowitz beat him, 
Um, Ryan's fam is a submission. It's, it's the Nicholson the fight. It's the Nicholson fight. It's a Nicholson fight for sure. Yeah, because like, what the fuck was that? That should not have happened, and it did. And I'm still sour about it to this day, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> he should. You know what? Kills me too. Devin Clark is a natural middleweight. Middleweight. Yeah. 185 pounds. Yeah, should have always been fighting at 185 pounds. Signs with that Dana White looking for a fight, and Dana meets him in the dressing room, and it's just like, oh, dude, you can't fight 205. He's yeah. in the UFC, and Devin Clark tells him. Yeah, I know, no, I'll drop down to middleweight. That was his middleweight debut against Nicholson. And when Nicholson knocked him out, he was Fair. like, fuck this. <laughs> that was it. So so that that's gonna be important here in that his path of victory over men of field is he needs to just grind him up against the cage. Yeah, he's a decent wrestler, he wrestled collegiately. He needs to get this guy down. He needs to just zap out the energy. He needs he needs to just grind this to a lull as much as he can. But being that he's not particularly a big two oh fiver. It's going to be easier said than done against Menefield in the first couple rounds. Now, the other issue is that Menefield seemingly hits like a heavyweight, whereas Devin Clark has the chin of a middleweight, if that. Like, mm-hmm. his chin isn't great, and he's just not really the biggest tool fiber to begin with. The guy's got massive legs. His legs are just tree trunks. But outside of that, like, he's not super proportionate. He does, he moves okay, but at some point, like, I feel like Alonzo Menefield's going to line him up. If you're playing DKK, DKK, or sorry, uh, drafting, sorry. And you're playing a, a, a GPP. That's why I keep saying. PK yeah, he's a first round idiot. target. First round knockout GPP, target. Yeah, you go for Menafield because it's like he's got a proven track record here that he just walks these guys down. And here's the biggest thing here: when he fought Vinicius Moreira, can't wrestle. Paul Craig can't wrestle. These guys, no good at wrestling. But that's their only key: is I gotta try because mm-hmm. I can't strike him. Like I gotta try. Trying to take him down, you gotta get close to him. When you get close to him bad things happen. Devin Clark's no different. His best path to victory here is push this guy up against the cage, grind him up against the cage for a round at least, try to take him down in the second round, and then we're good. But he's going to have to engage him at some point. And that's where I think Menefield might be able to clip him. Menefield, Boris MMA guy out of Texas, um, he's actually the lead training partner for Ryan Spann. Ryan Spann, the last guy to beat <clears throat> uh, Devin Clark. Devin Clark also hasn't won back-to-back fights in three years. That's no coincidence. He's just, he's a very middling mid-pack guy. Mm-hmm. Now, people were looking at me with a straight face telling me, I think Daquan Townsend is worth a play. This is why. Well, he's, all he does is throw bombs, but that's the way to beat Devin Clark. Now you're getting men in fields who's four times the fighter Daquan Townsend will ever be, mm-hmm. throws much better punches. Most are, that theory is still there. Devin Clark is still there to get hit. He is still there to get hurt. You can still hurt this guy. It's that I like betting on guys. This might sound crazy. I like betting on guys that have lost before. You know, I don't love Alonzo Menafield. I don't love Chase Hooper. Outside of Khabib, who has passed every test, there's no more questions. You got to lose. You got to lose so we can figure out, like, where did we go wrong? What John Jones? On? Yeah, yeah, well, John Jones is not my guy, man. Just, like, the fights have not been good. He stays on the outside, and there's ways to beat John Jones. I mean, now there is, but John Jones in his heyday, no, like different story. division of all times. John oh, Jones in his, his heyday, old legend. Be, be Daniel Cormier twice. You think? Are you saying Olymp, Olympian Daniel Cormier is a scrub? Is that what? Is that where we're going? No, with this? I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying. It's easy to look at John Jones's record and be like, oh, dude, he's got those, those wins over DC. The second one he tested positive, so that's a large asterisk. Yeah. And the first time, yeah, it was a close fight. He beats a legitimate guy a legitimate hall of famer it's a legitimate win but he's got a lot of wins over hall of famers okay. you know he's beaten rampage jackson and he's beaten shogun and he's beaten rashad evans unfortunately uh, he fought none of those guys in their primes none of them are equipped to fight him so i'm not a jones guy I, i'm just saying 
it's easy to paint a picture here when you talk about, yeah, we're going all the way back down to Devin Clark from John Jones. Training partners, that's how we'll tie it together. <laughs> it's like, it's like you know, Menifield, I'd like to see someone gas them out so I can say, okay, it's cardio problem. I'd like to see somebody take them down so it's like, okay, maybe, yeah. it's, a, maybe it's a wrestling problem. Look at Jamahal Hill from last week. Big win over Clitson Abreu. Mm-hmm. And, but how much do you take away from that? Because he didn't get taken down. He did, exactly. Nothing really fucking happened to him. Still, so when we tape him next time, I still it's the feel, same question. Yeah, I didn't learn anything from it. Because what if somebody just, yeah, a good re- a wrestler with a good chin. Um, right, I still, so, I still so, think and exploit him there. He looked a lot better. And I think it's a work in progress. But I still think that hole is there. Whereas with Menafield... We just haven't really seen it because nobody's really had too much success. Yeah, yeah. No one's had too much success, so it's hard to bank on like, oh, man, what about this? And here's something very peculiar to me. Peculiar. Um, his his pro debut, mind you, he comes in as an amateur, like an undefeated amateur. Lonzo Menefield's pro debut is for Bellator. He smokes his opponent out in 36 seconds, 38 seconds. Doesn't get signed to Bellator. They don't offer him a contract. That's weird, right? Mm-hmm. His next fight's for RFA, which is a major promotion. Then he fights for LFA, which is a major promotion. So he's three fights into his career, and he's fought for three major regional promotions. That's out of the UFC, LFA, RFA, Bellator. Are you kidding me? That's top, top at, right? Then he gets his contender series fight with Daniel Jolly. He beats him in the first round, right? They don't offer him a contract. So he goes back to LFA, where he does not headline. Then he fights for LFA again, where he does not headline. Even though he's a Dana White contender series veteran, even though he's got a 100% finish ratio, even though he's the big name guy in your card, he's not even headlining these cards. I right? mean, in terms of his, they, Bellator- they give him they give him a second contender I mean, series dude, fight ball. But I know, but you were he's like, got eight seconds to get a Cody. Like when you said, I had to look it up to be like, well, what the hell is? What do you mean? I mean, he it was his it was his MMA or his professional MMA debut that he fought on Bellator 146 and one and third. Like the UFC. Maybe he's just been holding up for the UFC. He didn't want to sign with Bellator. I think that what would, that's what it Bellator, looks more like to me. They were in his hometown. They're like, this guy's pretty good. He's never fought professionally before. They're like, oh, well, we have somebody named Zach Rosal, who is now 3-3. Three and three. He was 0-0 at that point in time. They're like, you know, Alonzo should be able to tee off on him, and he did. But, I'm saying, yeah, I, I think he's probably just been smart about the direction of his career. He's been taking the right steps. We haven't seen him struggle. Yeah. It's hard to like bash him, but it's also hard to trust him because we just don't know how we react. And I think we're on the same page on that. Yeah, yeah, fair. Uh, all I'm saying is he's been, he's been a very big favorite against everybody's fought. And I don't know. I just think maybe there's a reason. Why does this guy smoke somebody in 40 seconds? And it's like, okay, dude, maybe we'll call you back. Because even though he's finishing the fight early, you do see he's green. He needs some time. He needs to fight some some gradually better level of opposition, and then we'll see where he's at. But he's 32, Paul. Mm-hmm. He'll be 33 in a few months. Like he's not he's not a young prospect. No. He needs, so I, anyway, a lot of question marks. Big price tag. That's what I'm getting at. But as far as DK goes, yeah, you chase you chase the pony, baby. You chase the first round KO. Absolutely. All right, we got uh, and finally we got Herbert Burns taking on Evan Dunham. Dunham Herbert Burns is a minus 220 favorite. Evan Dunham plus 180. Who you got here? You know, I, we've been mostly rolling with favorites this whole card, so let's get ourselves a juicy dog. Evan Dunham plus 185. Herbert Burns is largely coming in here. We I, we have this conversation damn near almost card. There's always somebody on the card that's not quite as good as people think they are. they got a big price tag, and it's largely based on this name or this narrative, right? You and I actually talked about this off air. 
where it's like quarantine pricing, right? There's been a lot of guys that oddly enough, we can't figure out why they're priced the way they are. But it's like, you know, you look at uh, Antonina Shevchenko. She shouldn't be, you know, she shouldn't be that close of a play against Chukagian, but she's got the last name, right? You look at the Walt Harris situation. She should be the favorite over Overeem, but there was that story, right? Mm-hmm. You look at Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley shouldn't be no fucking favorite over anybody in the division, yet he's a former champion. He's Tyron breaking, Woodley. Breaking news. Guys, Tyron Woodley claiming news. claiming that he's going to fight uh, Colby, at least to BJPenn.com, so who knows? But they apparently they've already signed it, and Tyron's coming back, and him and Colby are going to go at it. Yeah, here's the unfortunate part: is that like, what's Colby going to be a minus four hundred favorite? Like, how am I going to make money? He should be way more. Should be way more than that. It's like it's like, knockout or like it's literal price. literal banana peel pricing there. Like, you need you need Woodley to get a knockout, or it's he's done. Like Colby and Colby. I was hoping they would book. I was hoping they were going to book the Kiesa fight because the consensus on my Twitter is that <laughs> that's the only guy people think Woodley would still beat. And I'd love me some more dog money. I'm paid in Woodley, buddy. Oh, buddy. Fair. Sorry, we, uh, got, um, we got off track. You picked Evan Dunham, yeah, yeah. plus 185. Yeah, I went with Evan Dunham, plus 185. Listen, there's going to be a lot of risk here for them with Evan Dunham, but they're giving you the type of price tag that it's like we're going to inherently take some risk to try to get some reward. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think that Herbert Burns is he's overvalued on the basis of his last name. Gil just won, mm-hmm. and Gil looked awesome. So Herbert, it was just a Remember that little pre-fight pack where Gil's like, yo, there's been brothers in the UFC. One has won a title. No, no brothers have not both won the titles. You know, me, me and Herbert, we're going to win. It's like, dude, no fucking chance. Like, you're saying that because he's sitting right next to you. But, like, you, there's no way you truly believe in your heart of hearts that Herbert Burns is going to win a UFC title. Like, it, it's just not going to happen, right? He's not his brother, and he shouldn't be this big of a favorite over a lot of guys in the UFC. Now, he fucking gave me a dose of my medicine because Nate Landwehr should have ran a fucking train right through him. And he instead ran headfirst into a knee, which knocked him out. That was, was no pretty good. fun while it but, lasted. Yeah, then that's and that's what's actually good for Burns here is that that I tried to fade him right in his debut, being like, "No, we'll be fine. We'll take Landwehr over him." And you know, he, he was he was plus one hundred, like it was a pick and fight. So, but we were still gonna make some money. It was gonna be fine, right? But then he beats Landwehr. God damn! But now as a result, it's like, oh man, he won his debut. He finished off Nate Landwehr. I mean, I can't say look great against Darren Elkins, but such a fun fight. Like, he's riding a little bit of momentum. So I just beat this guy's got momentum. I KO'd him with a knee from the clinch. I'm not even a striker, by the way. I'm a purist grappler. And he's KO'd this guy. He's got a cast iron chin. My other fight's prior to that. They're all ending in the first or second round. I'm submitting guys like it's absolute nothing. It looks good. Right now, Dunham hasn't fought in two years. Yeah, that's and Dunham is insane. over the hill. And Dunham is 38 years old. And it's, like, hasn't it's not going to get no better. Dunham hasn't won since Rick Glenn in September of 2016. That's what I mean. Like, you know, and then he was, he hasn't won a fight now in almost four years. He hasn't competed in almost two. So that in itself is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. 38 is a huge problem. Yep. Getting knocked out by Olivier Obe Mercier in less than a minute <laughs> a is a big, big problem right no doubt about it but the price the price lets you know that the price lets you know that you're take you're stepping in you're stepping in for a little danger at plus 180 exactly you know you're getting yourself into because it's a dog play right but he's got a lot of good things going here now when he flips out you that with burns it's like burns is a great grappler but burns can't strike not a good striker don't let the fact that he need a guy in the head knock him out fool you he's not a very good striker also his wrestling 
extremely lackluster. Herbert Burns was once touted a prospect. He signed with one FC back in the day. The UFC, this is this is notable. The UFC offered him a contract. He opted not to take the contract to stay with one FC. Did he want to fight softer competition? I don't know. Was he getting better paydays in one FC? Possible. But he was a coach at the gym, I think, in Singapore. So he was just he was taking more or less the easy way out. Then he gets to a, ch- a position where it's like, you know, I'm going to fight for a title for one FC. But he faltered. He wasn't quite as good as anybody thought he was. Now he ends up in the UFC, and it's like, I know this guy. I know he's not all that good. To boot, he's 32 years old. He's the older brother, and he reminds me a lot of sense, not style-wise, but he's the Ant- Antonina Shevchenko to the Valentina. He's the older, less skilled brother that just happens to have the same last name, right? Mm-hmm. So could he win this fight? No fucking doubt. We just literally mapped out why Evan Dunham has mapped He hasn't won in four but years, so get- like, when, yeah. If we're going to give Evan Dunham a little bit of credit, he's a far superior wrestler, right? He's also a black belt. He's been submitted one time in his UFC career. That was against Donald Cerrone. He took a lot of damage prior to giving up that triangle choke. Mm-hmm. So chalk, chalk that one up to damage just as much as anything else. But the fact of the matter is, is that his grappling is good enough to la- allow him to survive, I believe. His wrestling is good enough that he'll be able to keep the fight standing. And when the fight is standing... Dunham's a volume puncher, man. He throws a lot of volume. He'll just chip away at this guy. You stand him up, he'll beat away at him. The one thing is whereas Burns got real lucky, threw up a knee, it clipped my boy Nate the train in the face and it KO'd him. He couldn't just throw up a knee and hit Dunham in the body. Because Dunham is soft as baby shit to the body. I don't know what it is, man. He gets hit to the body these days, he crumples right over. Liver's no good. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going Dunham. I think that that shot doesn't land. I don't think Burns gets him to the ground. In fact, if Burns does get him to the ground, Paul, could be okay. Because Burns will use a lot of energy. He doesn't got a great gas tank. He'll use a lot of energy trying to potentially finish um, finish uh, Dunham. And when he doesn't finish Dunham, maybe Dunham rallies in the second and third. Dunham's never had cardio problems. It's just he's soft to the body these days. He's older. He hasn't won a fight in a long time. He hasn't competed in a long time. A lot mm-hmm. of variables for why we shouldn't back Dunham. 185 makes that all worth the while. So if you lean towards a guy and he's a big dog price, you take that dog. And so Evan Dunham will be on a card otherwise that I, I agree with a lot of the favorites. Uh, this pricing's out of whack because of the name, and I'm going to look to try to maybe gain an advantage by taking a plus uh, 185 dog here. All right, DraftKings breakdown for UFC 250. Uh, I guess didn't I forgot to say this. Pat Pat wanted me to remind the people that he's going to the World Championships after uh, World after listening to our show last week, knowing nothing about MMA. Made a roster, got himself a ticket um, to the dance. I forget the name of the contest. I should know what the name of the damn contest is, but I don't. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's off. Knockout he's, King? Uh, yeah, yeah, Knockout King. That's the name of it. So congratulations to Pat. Lots of other winners and stuff last week. We were actually talking about, actually, before we get to the DraftKings breakdown here, we were talking about as soon as last week's card ended, we are just like, we're – We've been running so hot, it feels like we're just due to like, you know, for the trains or the train to fall off the tracks here. But yeah, I feel like, and it's always one of these cards, Cody, where it seems everything is just falling into line. And then you're like, okay. And then that's when MMA starts being MMA. So hopefully it's not this card, but, but you know. The way I look at it, dude, is let's let's look at a, a Vegas capper, right? Let's say a casino in Vegas employ a book employs this guy's excellent read to map out the prices. This guy's got to have a lot of knowledge. They got a lot of faith in this guy 
to make the lines. All this guy does is cap the fights where where he sees a price. He's giving you his picks. He's got all the favorites. He, that's why he's made them the favorites. And an average of three to four dogs hits on every card. So even this guy that's designing the lines, that's putting it out there, that should be theoretically just massively knowledgeable, is getting three or four wrong at night. Mm-hmm. We've been we've been hot because we've been getting one or two wrong at night. So we're beating the bookie fairly consistently. Yeah, like at some point, like it's going to fall off. I'm just hoping an A250 because this looks like a tasty offering mm-hmm. and there's some good value. So hopefully we just keep the trade rolling. Like all the research in the world will get you one place, but we need some good bounces. You know, we need some, yep. some strange decisions and we need mm-hmm. some strange choices in uh, fight IQ for opponents and different stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I don't see no reason I keep the momentum going. Jumping yep. over the DraftKings side. Yeah, let's whip, let's, like right let's whip through this. Let's whip through this section. Cause yeah. like we've already, we've went an hour and 20, will, yeah. we've went an hour and 25 minutes and I feel like, People are going to get a pretty good idea on on DraftKings based on all of that. Like, we don't have to go too crazy here. Okay, I'll just like rifle through it quickly and just give you some general strategy. But right off the get go, you got Amanda Nunez, Sean O'Malley. They're your two most expensive players. They're going to be very high ownership. Nunez probably going to be highest ownership. She's more of a safe play. Playing yeah. cash game, you want Nunez. You want GPP. Probably going to want to chase some value on somebody with similar upside. But obviously, she's going to be high. Sean O'Malley is going to be massive ownership because the upside to beating Eddie Wineland scoring a lot. This guy knows how to score a lot. He's 9,300. He's super popular. They're both high ownership guys. Cody Stamen at 9,100. This is why I don't love that, right? He's traditionally a decision guy, as we talked about. He's not known to go and score a ton of points. He averages 73 points per start and $9,100. It's just not enough. Kelleher forces your hand. Like, if you're going to beat Kelleher, chances are you put him away. Chances are you score a ton. Like we talked about, emotional Cody Stamen. I just feel like $9,100 is too big of a price tag. It's a reflection of the fact that he's a 260 favorite, but that doesn't mean it's a great detail. He's not a DraftKings player. Menefield's banger bust. $9,000, he's $400 cheaper than Amanda Nunez. He's $300 cheaper than Sean O'Malley. If he wins, it's a bigger if than them. If he wins, he's got the same upside. Mm -hmm. He can floor Clark out of there in the first round, get you that first round KO. Maybe a couple couple knockdowns possibly too, like... Absolutely. But whereas he may also be high ownership because he's priced well, he's a big scorer. <clears throat> and if you're going to, if you're a two lineup kind of guy, having Clark on one of them would ensure that if Menafield does blow this up, you fade a lot of that field. Problem is we're giving you one lineup. We're one lineup kind of guys. We're trying to give you advice on one lineup. Menafield, if you're trying to take down the big GPP, I think you take that risk. Herbert Burns, no fucking chance. $8,900. Listen, Dunham could fold over and Burns could score big. Burns could be a good play. Absolutely could be a good play. I am not a Burns guy. I'm not going for Burns. That's not my strategy, but it could play out as a winning strategy just based on Dunham's recent history. Can't even call it recent because it's not even recent. Dunham's overall history from years ago suggests that he could be in for a rough one, but we already talked about that one. Charles Berger, Patolo, you're going to want access to one of these guys. If Burns beats Patolo based on Patolo fought last time out, great. Patolo could also turn the tide. That's actually a pun play. He's cheap. He's well-priced. He could knock out Burns. Um, have a look up at Tolo. Neil Magny, not a huge score. Cody Garbrandt, I think it's going to be a decision, $8,600. It's like a high-end, mid-range price. Don't know. Hooper, $8,500. You're going to want some look at that. Heinish, $8,400. Again, mid, mid-range mid guy. You're going to want some look at that. Formiga's hard to score again, so I'm not huge on Perez, even though I got him winning this fight. Even think I think this could be a coming-out party for him. It, it's hard when a guy's clinging on to you to score a ton. Mm-hmm. Sterling, he's a low scorer. Um, his last couple of fights, he's put up a lot of punches, but I think it'll be a different court, uh, a different story with Sanhagen. Sanhagen would be my play, eight thousand dollars. He can put up if a ton he of wins, output, he's lots score of scrambles, over eighty. You would think, unless Aljamain puts on like a defensive clinic, which is possible. But I think, yeah, Sanhagen, Sanhagen's path is his winning path. Probably gets him over eighty points. Aljamain could right. get 
60 in a win type of thing. So Mere Shark could be a slick play. $7,800, he puts it on him, but Heinz's durability is going to cut into that. Caceres, I don't like. Hafele Sunsau, I don't like. He'd have to rely on just clipping Cody's you know, fragile chin as we, bro- as we broke down. I don't see it happening. But again, if you're playing a GBP and you're playing multiple lineups, Sunsau could have some go there. Same thing with Tolo, $7,400, lots of upside. Dunham, $7,300, lots of upside. The rest of the guys I'm not seeing. Spencer, Wineland, Kelleher, no. Devin Clark. A couple of people that I respect have mentioned that Devin Clark at $7,200 could get, you know. If he's getting the takedowns, if he's, yeah, if, he, if he's able to tire he's out men of field. But he's not a real scorer, though. Like, when he does, yeah, when he scores, it's, he's, not, he's, not a, he's not a sleep breaker. He's playing a very, very strategic game. A lot of cage control and stuff. Like, yeah, 51.3 fantasy points and you per know what? fight. Yeah. Guaranteed. So, so he against again. Let's say against Stosic. Stosic is short, stocky, power guy. His plan was: I need to grind this guy up against the cage. The same plan he should use against Menafield. That same plan that netted him sixty points over a three-round decision. Sixty points. He used that same game plan against uh, Daquan Townsend. Hold him up against the cage, tire him out, get some takedowns. 70 po- 74 points mm-hmm. against Daquan Townsend. So we've seen what he scores when he fights this game plan, which is the game plan he'll need again on Saturday night. And it, and it nets low results. So again, it, it, he's not a GPP play because his downside is getting knocked the fuck out in a minute. Not a not, not a good sorry, not a good cash game play because There's, the flip yeah, side to him, he just gets smoked out of there. Right. So now it's like, hey, not not a good cash game play. Is he a good GPP play? It's like no, no because if he wins, he's still only going to get you 60, 70 points, which is not enough to tackle a big tournament. So he's not a great option either side. And then as we talked about, I think if you're going for a guy who's cheap, who has big price, big upside. Dunham, super risky, but he could put up a lot. Patolo, Puck, obviously risky, could put up a lot. Mearshart, I'm not taking him personally. I totally do see the value. And then Sanhag is not likely to finish Sterling, but for 8,000, if he goes out and puts up 120 significant strikes, you know, some scrambles on the ground, gets you over 100 points, he'd be easily worth it. So those those would be some of my cheaper options. I'd be looking to balance out some of the higher end plays, like an O'Malley or a Menifee Field or a Nunez, depending on how much money you got left for your uh, respective team. And before we get out of here, hit him with the PRP. Yeah, so the PRP was one fight off from last week. Clinton and Brady absolutely blew it. I mentioned on Twitter too. I like wasn't. I might have been flopping back to Elliot. The PRP from last week's show had Roy Val. Obviously, Roy Val ended up getting it done, which was a fun fight. Classic though, eh? Like Elliot oh, getting the fucking classic Elliot. Elliot fight ever. <laughs> so it's so classic. Anyway, so jumping on this PRP, trying to get things going. We're going to go with Manny Nunez as the favorite. We're going to go with Cody Garbrandt as the favorite. Corey Sanhagen is even. Rocco Martin is dog number one. Sean O'Malley, favorite. Chase Hooper, favorite. Ian Heinish, favorite. Cody Stamen, favorite. I'm going to take Mackie Patolo. Whoa, I, our... I know, I know. I, I thought you said never again. Favorite. You said never again Dude, earlier in the program. I know. Hopefully people you know get the to the Paul? PRP at the end. They may be, yeah. Right, I know. That fucking happens wow. sometimes. First of all, I got two. You're going to okay, get sapdicked sap- so hard on that one. I can just feel it because you, you, you changed your mind. Make two PRPs. Because you changed your mind PRPs. in between us recording that at the at the 57-minute no, mark, it and now it's process. the 132-minute mark. Over the course of the last 35 minutes, you have effectively switched your pick, and now you're all about coconut bombs. Yeah, okay, I'll tell you why. A couple reasons. One, yeah, I want three dogs on this card. So I'm taking uh, Rocco Martin, dog number one, Evan Dunham's dog number two. I Third dog coming through. I feel like Mackie, it's, it's a dog or pass situation. He's plus 150. Mm-hmm. going to go yeah. out and throw bombs. 
if one of those bombs lands, he wins. He's plus 150. The, the price is right. Why not? Okay. But, but it was actually talking to you, dude. You're, that's why you're my guy. That's why we, we do these breakdowns. Or as much for me as they are for the fan. I just like bouncing ideas off you. And yeah, no, in talking about it, it dawned on me. Like, Charles Bird, this is Charles Bird's last five fights dating back four years. Right? Quentin Henry, first round finish. Jamie Pickett, first round finish. Randall Wallace, second round finish. John Phillips, first round finish. Darren Stewart, it got into the second round, and it turns out he had no fucking gas. Mm-hmm. This guy completely gassed out, which is believable because all of his other fights ended so early, you never seen him get to the second round. When he got to the second round, he was fucking awful. And the Shabazi put him away quick. Mackey's not great, but Mackey at least didn't get finished against Callum Potter. Him at 185 would figure maybe better weight cut, more gas in the tank. He'll lose the first round. I'm going to live bet him after the first round. Once Charles Bird takes him down, doesn't finish him, Charles Bird's going to get tired. Mackey's just going to land one of these coconut bombs between two and three. Put him down. See, that's probably the, me up. He's that's, only 7,200 on EK as well. 7,400. But yeah, that's the move. Fuck it, I'm in. For, I'm in. Live betting. I think if he, if he gets well, out of round one and didn't get absolutely assaulted, maybe we hit him in round two. And think that, especially if we see that Charles Bird is slowing down a little bit. The books are usually a little bit slow to react to that type of stuff. Or at least I find that I'm able to have a better read on whether people are tired or not than the books seem to be. So, Well, have a look between round one and two. Because I can see Bird, same thing, Bird put it on Stewart in the first round. Like and in the second round, you, you, see, you see noticeably how he's reaching for everything. Like, he's really tired. He gets clipped twice. He right. falls over. Doesn't got a great chin. Mackie. So, right. yeah, okay, to finish off the PRP, Boom. we got Mackie's the dog. We're going to go with Perez as a favorite. Menafiel is a favorite. Dunham as a dog. That's uh, nine favorites, three dogs. Let's get it, Paul. And that is it for us. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody Saftik, I am Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.